0: The Dive podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean, same with same with yo yos, it was like, you know. Every every kid was all about the yo yo for like the same week and a
2: half in
3: fifth yeah. grade or whatever. Yeah,
2: I loved it. I feel like that was like the same the same time as Jinkos. <laughs> yeah,
3: Jinkos didn't really hit my my grade school. I had Lee pipes.
2: Lee pipes, fucking poser.
3: <laughs> what? I I couldn't afford the Jinkos.
4: <laughs>
2: you poor. Yeah, poor people are dumbass. posers. <laughs> this shit was like eighty bucks. <laughs> I just wasn't allowed to look cool. If my parents wouldn't let me. What's your excuse now? <laughs> my mom still doesn't want me to look cool. <laughs> So. So what's good, fellows? Good evening. We don't uh never done this at night before.
3: Yeah, also I feel like this is the longest we've gone not seeing each other in in a while. Ben and I Ben and I've run into each other two different times in the last week.
2: Yes, and I saw Megan two
3: On days hike, in a right? row. Yeah.
2: Yeah, like in the fucking Angeles National Forest. Yeah, it's, it's so really weird. random. <laughs> and then you, the burger shop. You go
4: up to the one up in by Castaicanga.
2: Um it's not I don't actually know exactly where. Yeah, it's like the one by Switzer Falls. Tuhanga. Yeah, it's not that deep into the forest, but it's the same. It's zone. not
3: really it's it's like considerably more east than Tahunga. In the in I the I think it's n- more north
2: but I don't actually know.
3: Or Northeast, something like that. I just know that you have to take the freeway a bit further out. It takes about 30 minutes
2: from my place.
3: But yeah, I mean, I, I've run into like literally like a handful. Like I, I can count them on my two hands. Uh, people the entire quarantine. And I've run into you and Katrina now <laughs> twice. It's really weird.
2: <laughs> I know. I like, I really don't do much. So it's bizarre to run into anyone at any time. Yeah. It doesn't really happen. Um, yeah, I guess we should say for the benefit of the listener why it's been so long. Yeah. Because like the last episode we did, we did over Zoom, which we are on again. And it it wasn't bad. It was fine, but it wasn't as fun as doing it in person. So we were like, well, let's just take a break for the holidays and then, you know, uh, the world will be a shining utopia by the time Christmas is done, and we were wrong, I guess a
3: uh, oh, shocker. yeah it, the funny thing though is that like we like that made that makes it seem like we were really naive or something. Our bar was so much lower than that, you know
2: well, and I mean,
3: yeah, we didn't want to talk about the election but
2: i think it's normal to take a break at the holidays and but i think we thought that we'd at least be able to gather in the same room mm-hmm. um which we could if we wanted to but it does seem like la county is like the global hotspot for covid right now so it's just not that Yeah, cool. what is the
4: numbers on that because whatchamacallit i was telling somebody that I live in Boyle Heights right now, which has one of the highest rates in L.A. Is right now L.A. like the highest rate of COVID in history? I mean, it just passed a million cases
1: in L.A. today.
4: But I mean, like the rate, you know, like per population, is it higher than it's ever been anywhere else?
3: I don't know. That's what I've been telling. I don't know either. And they just came out the other day and said it's like one in three people that live here have probably had COVID. Yeah, that's That's crazy.
2: But it's like, I know way more than three people. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but I think, you
1: know, do you know the working class frontline workers? Do you know the the people who are at risk, you know, at risk the most?
2: That's like, I wonder, I wonder what the, the infection rate is for actual hospital workers. It's got to be. I mean, that would make sense. One in three. That would make a lot of sense.
3: Yeah, well, I also think that really like, dark. Fr- like friends of ours have probably had it. Like there's a chance yeah. that we've had it and have been asymptomatic. Um, in New York, I was getting the antibodies
4: test, and it's coming back negative.
1: Yeah, I haven't mm-hmm. got one of those. Well, I think the the big news in L.A. recently that I think is like kind like to me seems like the reason for the like extreme number of cases is the fucking the core testing program, the like Sean yeah. Penn funded like private um
2: the curative uh, scandal that is no talking about.
1: Yeah. Like, you know, they were they were just like passing out false negatives. And the dude made a buck, right? Like he made like sixty Hell, something yeah. million contract on that. Yeah. Just like and he, and literally had, like, scamming the city. Had no no medical training or something. Yeah.
3: Yeah for yeah, he was, now, like... He's yeah, twenty-five-year-old like startup dude, that somehow got the contract for testing in L.A. And because it was it, so
4: quick, it was like L.A. had it before anywhere. Because this yeah. dude was like, "Oh yeah, I can do that. No problem. Here you go." And they're like, "All right, here's mad fucking money. Uh Hope they work." And it turns <laughs> out they didn't, and that's why L.A. case rate so high.
1: Yeah, didn't they watch the documentary about the that Steve Jobs ass woman who like f- that that like. You know what I'm talking about? That like Th- Thanos. Yeah. Or not. The Theranos. Thanos. Ther- Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, yeah. I mean, and it gave everyone a false sense of security too, just because it was so accessible to go get tested. I've gotten yeah, tested nothing. like, like, you know, I was talking to my parents and they've been like so good. Um, And then had, like, one run-in with some friends where they thought people were going to have masks on. They thought there were only going to be a couple people there. And then, you know, it's like we've all experienced that where, like, you show up and, like, you feel uncomfortable wearing a mask. So you, like, kind of take it off or something. And I was just, like, talking to them being, like, you should just go get tested. And, like, really quickly became apparent that, like, getting tested is not, like, a normal casual thing that you do elsewhere, in LA yeah. it was just like everyone was like going to get tested like once a week for a while because it seemed like this like nice thing. It was like, oh, it's free. And then yeah, everyone was just like doing that and then being like, Oh, I can hang out with you in a backyard now. Right. But you know.
1: Yes, yeah, extremely dark. Yeah. But so so that that to me explains like a, a big reason why yeah. LA is just like so out of control. And, then, and then I now, think there's a lot of other like you know systemic issues around like the shutdowns and and Garcetti's responsible for a lot of that. But like the you know the 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 false negative tests when so fucking many people are getting tested there is wild. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Now it's not even a testing site anymore, and they're turning it into a, a vaccine site. Yeah. Oh really, Dodger Stadium? Yep.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, they like they. They're, like, redesigning it or whatever. And I went the other day. It's the most cones I've ever seen in one place. <laughs> <laughs> it was, sho- It was like, shocking trying to drive through it. It was, like, really visually, like, disorienting and terrifying. <laughs> just because probably they're anticipating male- so many cars. That's what driver's ed's
1: for, man, just so you can <laughs> yeah. learn to navigate cones. <laughs> yeah, true, true.
2: Um, um, well, so legitimately we haven't, we haven't chilled in like two months, a month and a half. It was,
4: ago. I think I left December 1st. So yeah, since the end of November. Hmm. So what you guys been doing? <laughs> <laughs> I've been chilling in New York this whole time. Yeah. But what does that mean? Um, you mean like what's a day in the life?
2: Yeah. I mean like, You know,
4: I've got a I've got a good thing going on in Brooklyn right now where it's like my girlfriend is the manager of a cafe where it's just like all the employees and roommates of the employees are all like, you know, by just virtue of working there and living together already in a bubble. And so I'm able to, like, hang out with people every day. And I spend a lot of time just, you know, playing chess over there and hanging out. Um, And other than that, you know. Same old, making music, and i had been working on my other podcast, True False Believers. Um, yeah, yeah, that's about it. I go for really long walks every night.
1: It's tight, sounds, sounds in character. Yeah.
4: Yeah, it sounds nice, too. Episode with Russell is, uh, muy bien. The, oh, the True False, yeah. Yeah, Russell's the fucking man, speaking of COVID. Um, speaking of COVID, what does that mean? Your man's got the cocoa. He does? Oh,
1: shit. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? Oh, Am Guys. I blowing up his
4: spot? No, no, no. He posted it on on whatever, Instagram. Yeah, friend yeah. of the pod, Russell. Great dude, but he's been struggling. He's had it for over a week now, I
1: think.
2: Ugh. Oh.
1: Um, yeah, that podcast is amazing because it's like, it's kind of like a, like, I feel like when I introduce you and Russell at my um bachelor party you know (laughs) i was like i just want to listen to these two (laughs) people talk to each other and then you throw sophia in the mix it's like the three fucking smartest people i know just like no yeah they they have a good dynamic going.
4: they should do their own podcast i say oh my god but anyways yeah that's that's
1: what i've been up to what about y'all um i've been i've been good um been gardening this week nice uh planning some planning some stuff working on my working on my fish tanks uh had like a before christmas i had a uh, like my the thing that tests the water was was wrong you know so like you have to keep like a really specific eye on the levels of all the 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 different like shit in the water
2: kept getting false wrong. negatives it
1: was getting <laughs> false negatives yeah it was it was saying yeah so anyway I, it, there there was like a semi crash where the tank just like all the levels went really high and then now like it's healing itself by growing algae on everything which looks like shit so i've just been uh you know spending a lot of time with the uh with the fish and with the tank um started playing started playing Final Fantasy IX on Colin's recommendation respect nice. um Dude. Colin i i got a i got a question about that game yeah <laughs> okay so basically you're, like, a, at the beginning... Okay, I'm at the beginning of the game. on am level two. So, like, you're basically, like, a steampunk cabaret band touring in, like, a flying pirate ship, <laughs> right? And then you play at the castle, and you meet a 16-year-old girl, and you're, like, I have to kidnap you. So then you kidnap her, and then, like, you're kind of... She gets like kidnapped by somebody else, and then you like have to go rescue her and take her on tour with you. <laughs> the band
3: right. of no, the band of thieves, I'm pretty sure they're called Daedalus. They go. I think the leader, not Zidane, who is also very young, to be clear <laughs> about her <laughs> about the princess. Like it's a you know, those those games are about like teens or kids. Um I'm pretty sure they go to kidnap the princess in order to hold her for ransom. But it turns out that she wants to be kidnapped because her mother is evil and trying to exploit her. Yeah. And so she wants to leave. And so you like, yeah, you flee with And her. they're not
1: actually like a, they're not, ac- they like, ma- they like pretend to be a traveling like cabaret band, but they, yeah. they're like a band of themes that like thieves. is Yeah. Okay. That actually sounds yeah, also, right also,
3: tight. also very it, quickly, it is. very quickly, the plot like will shift. Um, you're just in like the introduction. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the really nostalgic thinking about that. I'm always <laughs> tempted to replay the game. I've played it like five times.
1: It's on. I tried to Switch, play it on my right?
3: phone. No, it's on Switch. I feel like, like ten bucks. I feel like RPGs, JRPGs, or whatever. Just it's not good for the phone. You're crazy. Yeah,
2: I couldn't finish it. That's why I like played two, Shining
3: Force twice.
4: On my iPhone. Yeah,
1: Shining Force is good. That on the was phone made for the
2: phone, though.
1: No, no, no. Was on it was made for Sega
2: Genesis.
3: Oh.
2: I'm a fool. Sega. I just think that. I playing
3: Final Fantasy III on the phone. I just think <coughs> the experience of, like, sitting down and, like, entering into the world, like, immersing yourself and not getting, like, text notifications or whatever. I've tried to play, like, some of those games on the phone, and I, I always stall out. Um, in a way that I don't, if I'm playing on like console or whatever. Totally.
1: But yeah, thanks for the recommendation. I've been, I've been enjoying it. Um, and then I don't know, I've been doing a bunch of work with, um, with, with UMA, the union of musicians and allied workers union building and working on some exciting stuff that you can Google and learn all about. Um, I don't know. Were you guys going to talk about books that you're reading? Yeah, lay it down what you're reading. Yeah, I've been reading a shitload. Yeah. Um that would be I feel like it's cool to talk about talk about books, but I put in my notes this book I'm reading. Um that I picked up on Verso Books. I didn't know anything about it. It's called What Comes After Farce by um Hal Foster and it's like it asks us, basically like the question of the book is like you know the Hegel quote that that's in Marx it's like history happens first time as a tragedy and the second time as farce. And then like the book asks question what comes after farce. Mm. And so like it's basically the what he says comes after farce is he calls it a debacle. You know, it's like downfall, collapse, mm. disaster, or whatever. So like Bailey, I feel like it's up your alley. I'm he talks bigger. about the September 11th memorial and it's like how it repositioned ground zero as like hallowed, sacred ground. Mm-hmm. And then like thereby is turning a historical event into this like theological event hmm. that is used to justify the terroristic war on terror, right. the you know spread of democracy that, that bolstered its opposite. And then the appropriation of all these like really brutal ideas into just like commodified kitsch, you know, like the little yellow ribbons you see that say support the troops, yeah. which was just like a symbol that like curtained off like what supporting the troops means like the brutality of, of the like military regime and imperialism there. And, and like binds you to this U S project of imperialism, Mm -hmm. like, like a, like the, like a new version of the crusades. It's a really tight book. And I just like got it completely sight unseen and I'm, I'm, I'm vibing. You ever been to the world trade center Memorial? Yeah. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's like, it's profound. And yeah, you just cry. Right.
4: Yeah. Uh, The first time I, I, when I it was by accident. I was just walking around that neighborhood and I was like, oh, this is the memorial and just walked up and then yeah, a couple minutes later I'm just bawling. And mm-hmm. it it's it's actually like a spiritual experience to be there. Yeah, totally. it's a very
1: very beautiful memorial. Yep. Um how about you, uh cooling?
3: What you been doing? Well, I've been uh chilling in Glendale and like Megan, my girlfriend and I like took the took over the whole floor. Um the house is built into a hill so it goes down. So and someone moved out, so we just like took over the whole floor. So my bedroom now is like just like my like recording studio and we like watch movies and shit in here. But I've been like setting that up and yeah, I guess like most of the last month felt like a moving month. Which yeah. like I like tr- I definitely tricked myself into thinking that it wouldn't be a lot of work because we weren't actually like moving to a new house but it was still just a ton of shit to move around you know But doing that and I got like completely uh, obsessed with this card game Hearthstone which is like Magic the <laughs> Gathering except for, uh, like uh part of the World of Warcraft universe which is funny cuz I never even played that game Oh but I a friend know of mine yeah, it's like all the cards are based on things oh, from it's made by the Blizzard. MMO. Yeah, it's made by Blizzard. And a friend from home plays it, um, and Megan plays it a little bit. And I was like really hesitant to get back into it because last time I played, I got really hooked, and like I got even more hooked. And actually, today had like a bit of a moment of clarity where I was like, "Wow, I need to stop doing this. <laughs> it's a waste <laughs> of time." Um, but that had been fun. As far as books, I've been reading this uh, this collection of—I mean, I like just started it basically—but this collection of essays about tennis written by David Foster Wallace, which is like extremely funny and bizarre. Um, for those that don't know, he was like an avid tennis player when he was young, I didn't and know that. he describes it yeah infinite jess uh, yeah Adventure infinite takes jess place, is about tennis I'm never yeah it takes place at a tennis academy. I have never finished that book I've probably ever made it like three hundred pages um but the essay is really fun and he t- he talks about like like playing tennis and being like outclassed by people going through puberty or just being like better than him being like his first experience with like uh, adult sadness <laughs> and it's just yeah. a bunch of like insightful uh insightful writing into like the human experience seen through the lens of like being a tennis player um which is like very very up my alley like for example like the the first essay is about like like not being like as skilled as other people but using the wind to its advantage cuz he grew up in like rural illinois and just the way he talks about like geometry and all this like non tennis stuff you know and then like all of a sudden the essay is really about like experiencing like profound adult sadness for the first time (laughs) as a child realizing that he wasn't going to become professional which is like for me like uh not even because i thought i was going to be good at tennis but i feel like that's just a very relatable thing that you go through when you play sports as a kid Yeah, yeah
1: he has this amazing way of taking like a very mundane moment and turning it into this like Incredibly profound, like reflection on like life itself.
3: You yeah, know? exactly. So that's yeah, that's what I've been reading. <laughs> Sick. I also got this band could be your life, which I'm excited to dive into. Michael Azerrad. Um, yeah, but I haven't I haven't read that one yet. Nice. Right. What about you, Ben? My turn. <laughs> Bailey cut that part out
2: <laughs> My um, turn <laughs> Well I just got the, um, the Criterion channel like a week ago So I've been watching some film Not movies, mind you, films What have you watched? Um, I watched Stalker on your recommendation So it's crazy right?
3: What would you think?
2: Extremely psychedelic Yes. Very good. Has everybody? Cole, have you seen it? Mm-mm. Well, maybe we shouldn't spoil it for the people anyway. But okay. I want to. I want to talk about the end. But um, let's see what else. Do you did you I know watch? the story Just behind like, that movie? How
4: he had to film it three times. No. Yeah, the first time they it filmed his, it, his, they... he
2: left the Soviet Union after making it.
4: Yeah, I mean, it killed him. Like, and a lot of the other people that worked on that. Yeah, movie. this is Tarkovsky for the listeners. Yeah. Here. But yeah, the first time they shot the whole movie when they had like an actual budget and everything and the film came back green.
3: Yeah, because they filmed it like, it's in this like post-apocalyptic, not even post-apocalyptic, it's just like this post-industrial like hellscape, basically. Um, Oh yeah, they all got
4: radiation poisoning, that's
3: why. Yeah, everything is decaying and there's all these like outrageous shots of like, like industrial waste and shit and like they've actually filmed it in the industrial waste like (laughs) and all the yeah a lot of the people on the movie died yeah it's
2: not yeah that makes sense but i was actually thinking that when the dudes are like swimming in this disgusting water yeah i'm like yo get out of that water yeah they died
3: (laughs) they died from that
2: damn that's insane i mean
3: years later But But still, like five years later, like not a lot later. Some some of them, yeah, you're right. Some of them did die shortly after.
2: Every time I've looked up the movie to like read about it, it always says, you know, the film that killed Tarkovsky. But he made like three other movies after that. That's
3: what I mean. It took
4: like five or six years for it to kill him. Like he he died of radiation poisoning over five or
2: six years. Brutal.
3: I feel like he like he he's a weird case of someone who like knew they were going to die. Because he 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 talks about only he made like seven films, right? And he only in, like that. he only intended on making seven. He had like he like gave a bunch of interviews about how he had no um, aspirations of making any beyond that.
5: And then he hmm. died
3: after he made the last one. Hmm. But yeah, amazing movie. I like it. Cole, you gotta you gotta watch it. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna watch
2: it. Um, and then yeah, I've been watching a bunch of like short films and just weird stuff and then it's like like if I'm like cleaning the house or something instead of putting on a record I'll just put on some random bullshit from the 50s or something like I watched um, Riot and Cell Block 11 today it's mm-hmm. from like 1954 it was pretty good but a lot of that shit's pretty boring to be honest oh did
1: you check out uh, Split Screen on Cartier yeah I watched
2: um the Linkletter episode oh the Slacker one? yeah yeah, it's cool. It's pretty good. What was the one I told you to watch? Oh, the...
4: Uh, Altered
2: States. I, yeah. It's not on there. What?
4: I just watched it on there like two weeks
3: ago. Probably just cycled
2: Maybe out. A, huh. Bummer. I'll, I'll search again, but it used to be on Netflix, but... Yeah,
3: Criterion's cool, type, but you're right that a lot, a lot of this stuff is kind of boring. But it's cool how like the, like the inclusion of something on Criterion is like, there's a reason for it. It's like, mm-hmm. even if it's not like enjoyable as like a movie in like a traditional sense or something, there's like, there's a reason it's worth at least knowing about if you're interested in like film yeah. history
2: or whatever. Yeah. And I've been, it's like with books and shit too, I've been reading some like kind of classical literature. Ah. Yeah. Um, like I read um, Cupid and Psyche the other day. It's kind of tight. I always assumed that because it's written in like this weird old English kind of style that I wouldn't be able to comprehend it, but it was actually like really easy and enjoyable to read. Um, and it's really short too. So, but, uh, I've been getting this Kindle. It's like, I love books and I love art books and I love paper and like printing and all that shit. So I never would have pegged myself for a Kindle person but it's so sick just having like 50 books right at your fingertips. So if you get tired of reading something, you just like click out of it and start reading something else. It, um, is it true so that I'm, you
4: don't retain the information as well? I, I remember when Kindle came out, that was a thing.
2: No, I mean, I it's it's been a really good experience for me, and I feel like I'm reading a lot faster than I than I used to as well.
3: You can also get one of the older Kindles that has the... It's not a screen. I can't remember yeah, what they I remember call that. it. Where it's yeah, like the paper or, weight or whatever. Yeah.
4: I, I used to read books on my phone. You remember that, Cole? When, Hell yeah. At the beginning of Dive, I was reading like the longest books I could find, like literally War and, <laughs> and Peace
3: on my phone, just because I thought it was funny.
4: <laughs> yeah, I have War and Peace. But it was also because I was a dog
2: walker. It was easier to read a book on my phone.
3: I can't believe you read a book while walking a dog. On your phone,
2: yeah, yeah, that actually sounds dangerous and difficult. <laughs> yes, I, mean, I, I used to
3: before I figured out that there <laughs> was a Manhattan. books app. Yeah, it was in I
4: <laughs> I would read actual books. Like I remember reading American Pastoral, walking around with the book in my hand. That was maybe less safe. But nowadays, every dog walker is looking at their phone. That's like what you do on that job now.
3: Yeah, I just I mean in terms true. of like paying attention. Like I ju- I space out really quickly and easily unless I'm like. Sitting down to read a novel, you know? Here's a secret Walking
4: Dogs is not very hard and does not demand your attention.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Unless a dog runs away or something.
1: Yeah, that's about it.
4: That
2: only happened to me twice. <laughs> Jesus.
1: <laughs> but also, Ben, haven't you been like, haven't you been going on like archive.org and like downloading shit oh, that yeah, that's is, right. like
2: not available in printed form like easily? Yeah. That's the cool thing is you can. I mean, that's why I've been reading some of the classics and shit is because they're just free to download. But then, yeah, on Archive, you can also get like some extremely wild shit. Like every, you know, every piece of like government document that's ever existed is like on there. Like whether it's like the death records from North Carolina from 1932 to like 1964 or like. How to defeat guerrillas in warfare <laughs> in Vietnam or, you know, like communist books and, you know, crazy white supremacist literature, like literally anything like how to, well, I'm sure you can use your imagination from there. But <laughs>
3: Jesus. Were
1: you the one that sent that like, that like propaganda um, tactics, the, the like PSYOPs manual?
2: Yeah, I bought it. Uh, well, I actually bought that one in print on, um, like on eBay and I had to stop reading it cause it was like too scary for me. <laughs> I got like halfway through and I was like, I don't like the government. This is too scary. <laughs> but I also, I read, um, two books on dream yoga. I've been trying to mm-hmm. practice the art of dream how's that yoga. going? It's crazy. It's like. It's not really working for me because it's it's really involved. So the two that I read, one was a Tibetan kind of Buddhist take and the other one was like a Gnostic, esoteric kind of take. And the Gnostic one is so crazy involved. It's like, perfume your pillows each night. Point the head of your bed towards the north and your feet towards the south. Like Eat only berries and honey and just like all this shit. I'm like, cool, I'm never doing that. <laughs> and then the Tibetan one is a lot more simple. But the things that they, they both share in common are um like what's called reality testing, which is mm-hmm. just like in your waking life. You just oh, like say checking like, your
1: watch twice or whatever.
2: Yeah, you just check in to like make sure that you're actually awake so that you're in the habit of doing that all day. That the idea is then when you're asleep, you'll also do that and you'll be like, oh shit, I'm actually dreaming.
3: Wait, Ben, can which you I've, can you define what dream yoga is? I don't. Yeah, well, cuz it sounds like
4: um what's the word for that shit where lucid you, can, dreaming. you know, lucid wear, dreaming. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. That's the same
4: shit you do to get into a lucid
2: dream. Yeah, yeah. It's that's part of it. It's so like the word yoga, I think obviously people associate with like poses and stretching like exercise. Mm-hmm. But that yoga just means like a path kind of to not enlightenment but a path to whatever spiritual attainment of some kind or another so there's all different types of yoga you know there's like the yoga of renunciation which is like what monks do okay. so anyway the with the the tibetan one it's really just like the whole idea is to be awake in your both your waking life and when you're asleep um and which is you know, like the first part of the book is like most people never wake up. You know, even when they're awake, most people are just asleep all throughout their whole life. Heard
4: that? Get woke, sheeple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of
2: uh, a lot of waking the sheeples. <laughs> but the, you know, I haven't. It, it hasn't been working for me. I haven't had any lucid dreams. And what you're supposed to do is like write down your dreams. Mm-hmm. all the time, but I've been having dreams and then waking up in the middle of the night and I don't want to like wake up and write because then I won't be able to go back to sleep. So I just forget my dream. So I'm not very good at it, uh. but there's a little, a prayer that you're supposed to do before you go, go to bed that I really like that's, um see if I can remember it. It's like, may I awaken from the dream and grasp the fact that I'm dreaming so that all dreamlike beings may awaken from the nightmare of illusory suffering and confusion. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Vibes. But it doesn't work, dude. It's a fucking scam. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Got to get your no money back from archive.org. <laughs> I'm trying to do
4: sleep hypnosis. You mean, y'all know about that?
2: No. No.
1: To hypnotize
4: yourself into falling asleep? Exactly. I want to do that so bad. Like it's that like fantasy I've always had of just like an on off switch on my brain. It's like that or the closest thing I can find to it. So and it's a real thing. Like um, a friend of my mother's had it prescribed by her doctor like an MD.
6: Hmm.
4: I mean, have you like done it? What do you do? No, it's mad expensive. So if anybody want to hit me up on, uh, oh, Nepal it's like whatever. you get
2: hypnotized by someone else.
4: No, you you learn how to do it. So you go to a hypnotist who's like, all right, here's how you do it.
1: Just do it, and then just fucking jailbreak the info and put it online. There's nothing on, on, on YouTube about this, or like, yeah, there is, but you'll
4: see. It's kind of, you know, I'm sure it's something like TM or whatever where you pay money just to get your word, and that's the only difference
3: yeah i'm kind of inspired by uh you guys i want to get into some weird esoteric practice now (laughs) yeah i've been like i've I've, all of my hobbies in quarantine or for the last like month or whatever have been like really like reality based and practical
2: (laughs) (laughs) well that's one thing it's like i've been you know There's literally nothing to fucking do in LA. And so I've just been like hiking and then, you know, all this stuff that's like really good for you as a person. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like it would be really satisfying, but like underneath it is this really deep boredom with all of it. You know, it's like nothing is really that satisfying. It's all just like kind of killing time.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean it's almost been a year which I've no, I've known that, but the other day it like hit me and it really like it's like a whole whole year of our lives. <laughs> I know. Just to
1: lose by. Like, <laughs> so much stuff we do, you know, together is like involves like a shared space and like so much stuff we do like in life, you know, involves this like community aspect of shared space and you know, it's like I can go to a Union meeting, and then watch you know a show on a live stream, or like all, you know, like check all the boxes of shit I want to do, but like it's just empty,
3: yeah, yeah, in
1: a way because it's not rooted in like a physical like community space, you know.
3: Yeah, Definitely hear
2: that. It seems like you know, twenty twenty was all about problems, and we should all like start thinking of solutions. <laughs> and I i feel like I've just realized so much how I just, like, don't want to play the game anymore. And I just want, like, a real community and, like, kind of going back to, like, DIY roots, which we talked about at the beginning of this podcast of just, like, doing things ourselves and just, like, I don't know, I'm just... Really having strong feelings for, I guess, playing shows in general and stuff, but just like doing things that aren't fucking Live Nation, Spotify bullshit, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: I had a dream where I wasn't on stage at a show. It was like an empty venue that I was allowed to be in for some reason. It was still COVID. But I went on stage and in my dream just started crying. (laughs) It really sad. <laughs> I've never cried in a dream before. Damn, that's fucking heavy. Yeah. Yo, if you cry <laughs> in a is. dream, you cry in real life, bro. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering that. I was like, I wonder if I cried,
3: like, Your pillow what, is, what I looked whipped. like. Yeah, <laughs> I was like just laying there like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that I, was- I similarly just... Like, luckily, we've, up until recently, have been, like, pretty fortunate to still, like, function as a band. And, like, play music together and everything. So it's not like I've forgotten that I'm a musician. But, like, my girlfriend and I, like, we've been dating for, like, three, three and a half months now or something. And the other day, like, a show came up. Oh, no, I fucking, yeah, I was, like, joking around, like, throwing my head around. And I fucking hurt my neck. And I was like, fuck (laughs) And she was like, you're getting too old. I was like, no, but I do this all the time. Like when we play, I'm just like, I'm fucking throwing (laughs) myself around. She was like, what do you mean? I pulled up a video of like the show in like London or something. And I was watching it and like, she's never seen us play or whatever. And I I was like seeing it through her eyes. And I was like, who is that? You know what I mean? (laughs) Totally. I was like, that doesn't look like me, you know, not, not even like. (laughs) not in a negative sense or anything or any of us, I was just like, holy shit. Like that's like what we do normally. And I've totally forgotten what it like, you know, it's, it's ceased to be being like, like an integral part of who I am, which I think in certain sense that there's like positive, there's positive aspects to that, but, or at least, you know, um, stepping away from it and like taking stock and like breaking out of the, like, kind of like right release record, Tour cycle we've been on for the last like really, really long time. In a certain sense, it's been nice to like slow down, but all mostly terrible, you know? <laughs> like, I would love to play those <laughs> again.
2: <laughs> yeah, that when we like doing these podcasts and like, you know, not this one, we're gonna break away from the normal format, but like doing the more research heavy ones, like the Sonic Youth one and just like, all of it is so based around like live music and like watching videos of people playing, and you know I didn't bring it up during those times because I didn't want to be a bummer. But it is just like extremely heartbreaking to just watch bands play live on YouTube. It's just like fuck. Mm-hmm. It hurts.
1: I don't. I can't remember if I said it on this podcast before, but there has been something like really. I feel like so much of our our time generally is like budgeted in this like way where, you know, it's like you, like our job takes up a certain amount of time and like any time we have in between that we're not like being productive, you know, feels like you're kind of like stealing that time. Yeah. You know, and it's just like rooted in this really kind of like shitty capitalist idea that like your time is worth money. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this has been... One of the first times in my life that I've not, I haven't fully shaken it because I feel like I am still trying to like constantly stay like productive in some way, but, you know, mostly in a way that like is satisfying to myself, you know, it's not about like maximizing productivity or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know?
4: Yeah. I felt that too. I've always... (laughs) or at least since I quit drinking alcohol, I had the problem of just like needing to be productive every waking moment or I feel like a failure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, I guess during quarantine I didn't realize it, but I've learned to like channel that into things that, yeah, this isn't going to like make money or no one's even going to see it. I'm just doing it for myself. Mm -hmm. And I feel a lot better. Totally. Um, Dig. Anyways. Uh, y'all want to take a break and when we come back, we can talk about some of our favorite
3: songs. Yeah,
2: the Dive Podcast. So, we haven't been at the practice space, obviously. Well, actually, independently, I've, we have,
3: yeah. Oh yeah! Sorry, I left had... my bike
4: in there. Oh,
2: bike.
3: Yeah. You oh, put a bike, bike in there.
4: I put my bike in there. Yeah, because I bought that desk. Remember from Saint Vincent? But my bike was in my trunk, so I went to the space two blocks away, dropped the bike off, went
2: grabbed the desk. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we haven't been having like band practice, but. We have been trying to work on music. Um we've been sending demos and stuff. I've been working on a Plutocrat Oil Man album. Colin, have you been doing any non-dive music?
3: No, I've just been demoing for dive. I like the like a- anytime I try to like come up with like lyrics right now, it's like no. <laughs> You know, it's like way, it's, it's way more enjoyable and more accessible for me to just sit down and make like an instrumental demo Mm -hmm. and just be like, oh, this music is cool. As soon as I try to like, you know, play something that is like more emotional or something, it doesn't, it's not like clicking right now. Yeah. I mean, y'all have been sending cool stuff. You know, I think that
1: there's a lot of, um, really cool ideas that, I'm excited to actually get together and play them. But I think, you know, we've been having a pretty good flow of just like sending stuff back and forth and throwing ideas on there and whatever else. Yeah, there
4: was like one day where Cole just was like, oh, I'm going to make a fucking Dropbox or something and just drop like 50 songs.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It is weird though, because I'll have a same thing where I won't do shit for like a week. And then one day I'll just like knock out like... Four demos. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's no. what I was
4: saying, Nicole. I was like, sometimes you get in that groove and just like bang it out every day until it dries up.
1: hmm Yeah, it was cool to just explore like uh, you know, whatever creative creative zone I was in. And then like, you know, anything I'm making right now just sounds exactly like a song that I made a week ago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. then it's it's just like kind of the cycle of um, you know making music and then like listening to music in order to, you know, inform like your direction. You know, I think every artist goes through that sometimes in like longer periods, but I'm trying to do just like a week of listening, a week of recording. That's smart.
2: Listening. You Uh, say,
1: (laughs) (laughs) well, I guess we should just say that, that for this episode, instead of talking about like a record, we just thought it'd be cool to each pick a song and bring it, and just, like, talk about it.
2: <clears throat> yeah.
1: So that's that's why I, I made such a nice segue from listening. <laughs> you know, seamless beautiful. transition.
2: Thank you. Um, <laughs> I've been still listening to tons of ambient music. But... And, like, classical music. Just things that are kind of more atmospheric. But uh, the other mm-hmm. night, I... I was making this playlist of like, kind of like sad country music from the seventies. It's a a genre I spend a lot of time in. And when I was making that playlist, I found this um, compilation that's put out by uh, Light in the Attic Records. They're like one of those labels that just like buys up entire labels worth of shit and then makes like reissues or compilations or whatever. I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly what this compilation's called. It was called new or like North Native North America Volume One maybe is what it was called, and the first track on it is this dude Willie Dunn, who I'd never heard of, who was like a canadian um like um he was a politician and like a filmmaker and a musician kind of activist guy. He died in 2013, I think. But in 1978, he put out his first album that was just like self-titled and it had this track that we're going to listen to. And when I heard it, I was just like, damn, where has this song been all my life? Like, I fucking love this song. I've listened to it like 20 times in the past two weeks. And I ordered it on Discogs. So I got like a weird, it's kind of hard to find. And I got this weird like German Pressing of it, and it just arrived in the mail like an hour ago. So that's weird, but nice, tight. So that's what I've Um, been listening to. Should we just Should we just throw it on? Yeah, yeah, let's listen. Um, Okay, Uh, It's called "I Pity the Country."
7: I pity the country. I pity the state. The mind of a man who thrives on hate. Smaller the lives of cheats and of liars, of bigoted news press, fascist town crier. Deception annoys me. Deception destroys me. The Bill rights froze me. Jails, they all know me. Frustrated art churchmen, the saving of soul men, the tinker, the tailor, the colonial governor. They pull and they me. They're seeking to draw me away from the roundness of the light. servants They thrive off my body Their trip is with power Back bacon and welfare Police they arrest me Materialists to test me Pollution that chokes me Movies that joke me Politicians exploit me City life that jades me Hudson Bay fleece me Hunting laws freak me Government is bumbling Revolution's rumbling To be ruled in impunity Is tradition continuity I pity the country I pity the state And the mind of a man on hate. It was really
3: entertaining, Ben, at the end there, just seeing you smile while you're listening.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was actually really weird not listening with you guys, but watching us all listen to it in our headphones was kind of strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, y'all ever hear. I don't know. It's like kind of a, a just a corny little thing, but th- ever hear someone say like, "Good country music is just three chords in the truth." I've heard that. That's mm, uh no, but that that's that song.
1: Ice T said something similar about hip hop. Um, is, is this protest? Is this
2: protest music? Probably. It's like I don't know.
3: I like that it. It, it sounds. It's to me. It, it comes across as like more feeble than protest music,
2: yeah, it seems a little more personal,
3: yeah, yeah, like, which is really cool about it, I think I really like that
2: but i I listened
3: to the record earlier,
2: um, and it you know there there are a lot of common themes, it is pretty political, but I don't know if i would, if I'd necessarily call it protest music the only it's weird the only. Thing I ever really think of when someone says protest music is like Bob Dylan, and I don't even think that's really <laughs> accurate. But it sounds like the
4: song that would be a perfect like song to put at the end of a protest music mix. You know what I mean? Like a bunch of like mm. CCR and Rage Against the Machine or whatever the classic <laughs> protest songs, and then put that at the end to just get like you know introspective
1: about it. Yeah, yeah. is this song from the '60s? Early. 70s. It's from '78. Um, oh, is 70s. it okay? I kind of just assumed it was no, seventy-one from the sixties. Seventy-one. That's
2: what my show says. Oh, I don't know.
1: Um, because you know, there's like there's a long history of folk music being protest music in, yeah. in the U.S. Um, you know, but then like in the sixties, it was like it kind of was like re, it like became protest music again, you know, and mm-hmm. like music's. Sp- Split, protest music split between like direct like f- reappropriation of like folk music as protest music and then like protest through like song forms or whatever. Um, but I, I was reading this thing about protest music in the 60s and they were saying how like... You know, we have this like classic idea of the '60s as this like decade of cultural revolution in music or whatever. But the top-selling album in the '60s was The Sound of Music, <laughs> which is just like this like very conservative vision of the world about like like family love and and like classic ideas of romance. It, it was just like
2: I, I was shocked.
1: Best-selling
2: from the whole '60s. Yeah, I mean, I Damn, believe it. it. That music is surprising.
3: So. So good yeah. though. <laughs> I like I get that. That the makes
1: hills sense are alive. To me. I, yeah, the hills are alive, man. <laughs>
3: Edelweiss. Damn. <laughs> I've never seen that movie. Oh my god. It's, it's I feel like it's a good movie. I agree with Cole's take, but it's still a it's a classic.
2: Yeah.
3: It's basically the nanny.
4: <laughs> what do <did> you <he> say?
2: <laughs>
1: I mean it's just the, what's her name? Uh, the Nanny. And, are you talking no, about the, the the Hulk Hogan one or the fucking? Fran Drescher, uh, oh no, that's, no, that's what Miss Fran Drescher. <laughs> that's what I was, Fran Dresher, the show. That. Wait, what am I? Oh, I'm thinking of Mr. Mom. Yeah, you're thinking. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, and production-wise, it's real simple. I don't know. I don't. I don't have that much to say about the song. I'm ready. I I'm willing to. Uh,
1: I had a I just I had a John Lennon quote about 60s oh, protest nice. music. So yeah, I do it. I just thought this was 60s protest music, but like, you know, I think we talked about I can't remember if it was like the Krautrock episode maybe. Um how like the, you know, the 60s movement failed to deliver on its promises, you know? And mm-hmm. there's this John Lennon quote where he's talking about protest music in 1968 and he says, "We all dressed up the same bastards are in control. The same people are Are running everything, it's exactly the same. Nice. And it was kind of like I don't know, it was kind of heartbreaking, but then like thinking about that same the Krautrock episode where we were talking about like the protest music that's like less about the the content of the song, but more about its like form and musical style and like Krautrock like looking back, I guess on that episode that maybe we didn't talk about, it's like it is this like deeply anti-authoritarian music that's like coming out of the aftermath of, of fascism in in Nazi Germany. But like, it was like its form was the thing that was anti-authoritarian. So it's like, it was like defined by like improvisation and experimentation and like, you know, collaboration with, with like non-musicians. So it like avoids these kind of like rigid musical, um, forms that are like, I guess like considered by them to be authoritarian, but it also like undermined the kind of idea of like, meritocracy in music where, like, the best musicians are the ones that get the platform because it's, like, they, they like, all the, like, social and cultural differences were, they tried to erase that on stage by basically encouraging, like, open collaboration. And there were, like, real, you know, that music had a hand in creating that we talked about on the episode, but, like, I think it's really inspiring that it had a hand in creating, like, this new youth movement that that was calling for the abolition of the authoritarian state. And that's, like, a different type of protest music, but I, it's, it feels really powerful to me, um, to like look at, at like a successful form of protest music, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: And like the music itself was the protest. Like it's like rebellious because they were kind of destroying conventions.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, speaking of John Lennon, I was thinking about you guys ever see that um interview with him? It's like I don't think it's like right before he was assassinated, but like it's like you know, the same year that he died or whatever, and he's like, Oh, you know, the seventies were a drag, but maybe the eighties will be the one. Let's see, and then like he dies. <laughs> like that's and how he I dies feel. in nineteen eighty. <laughs> that's how I feel, and the eighties sucked. So that's how I feel about everyone being like all right 2020 is over maybe 2021 will be better <laughs> <It's> like <no. laughs> oh my god <laughs>
1: like yeah
3: and yeah it has been like truly chaotic I t- it's not even that i tried to sell myself on some sort of like optimism where like 2020 year is going to be my year or something like that yeah. but i feel like there's just this inherent like human Like looking forward, that happens as the calendar turns, you know? Yeah.
1: Right. But it's like a foregone conclusion that, like, we don't address (laughs) any of the problems we had in 2020. They're still going to exist the next year, you know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's like nothing changed. Uh.
2: The Dive Podcast. Well, a good segue from that might be you mentioned the collaborative spirit of Krautrock um and the song that you chose call was a is a collaboration.
1: Oh. Uh yeah. I mean I picked a song, you know, I there wasn't like a whole lot I necessarily wanted to talk about. I just kind of wanted to be honest that like this is a song I just literally can't stop listening to and I think it started like a, a year ago. Um and it's this uh, Jarbo collaboration with Neurosis, um, and Jarbo was like a a singer. She was the um, like co front person of, of Swans for a while, and has a a couple solo records that are really cool. But this collaboration with Neurosis is, um, I don't know. I mean, I also don't have a whole lot to say about it. But it's like I think talking about collaboration is cool because it it really like does the best thing of both artists and it's this song i think it's called within wow neurosis
3: has some wild album art yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this album art with like i love the album art um and i ta- i talked about this record on the like what, amoeba what's in my bag thing and they cut it out for some reason oh they they did? Like, yeah <laughs> yeah they cut it out cuz i remember out, you got it. It. it was the first It was the first record I picked and it was the one I wanted the most, but like they didn't have
2: the.
1: um, And Spotify doesn't have it either. Like the original album art, which is just like this hand, it's really fucked up looking.
2: But they do actually. You have to like search for it because this, what the one that they have is like from 2019 or something. It's like a repress. Yeah. You can find the original on Spotify. It's really weird. I don't know how, why they do shit like that. Yeah. Um, The
1: first track. It's the first track, yeah.
2: Um,
1: okay, I guess cool. we could just we could just l- give it a little listen.
8: Again. I tell you, if God wants to take me,
9: He will. Come I tell you, if God wants to take me, He we will. this coming. I tell you, if God wants to take me, He will. Touch this I tell you, if God wants. to
1: I mean, yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a really intense song. Um, just like, I don't know, man, like something about it every, every time, like when her first vocal comes in on the song, my whole body just gets like covered in goosebumps every time I hear
3: it. Yeah. The I character ex- of that initial vocal is like really visceral. Yeah. It's really raw. Um, it
1: was definitely
4: a surprise for me.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's like you kind of don't don't expect and and like the um that hyperventilating section at the end is like yeah really powerful to me because it it just like I tr- I tried to do it along with the song one time I was listening to it and it's like <laughs> a lot you know it's like anybody who listens to the podcast try to do it like you will just like it. <laughs> It, it it like warps your brain. And yeah. it, and the idea of like an artist doing that while making music is really powerful to me, you know, kind of like that, that like idea of like the artists like losing themselves. It's like such a mythology thing of like the artists like losing themselves in their music. But this is like straight up just like making yourself hyperventilate. And the first time I actually encountered this was that Pixies song, Tame.
5: Mm-hmm. Does anybody know
1: that song? He has that mm-hmm. like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Oh uh-huh, right. Yeah, does it and then like after that unleashes the like, Damn, like the really big screams. And I was just like, whoa, like. Uh, so she's all lightheaded and shit when she's doing those screams. Well, in in the Pixie song, yeah, he's all lightheaded, but on this one, say- it's like she hyperventilates and then goes to the like the kidnapper comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like it's this like peak, you know, and then you kind of, like, the peak carries over into this, like, other section. It's just, like, a... I don't know, man. It's a powerful song to me. I'm glad you called it
4: hyperventilating because and My girlfriend Allie's in a band, Heat Death, when their newest song has that in it, she does the hyperventilating thing, and everybody thought she was Sick. doing sex sounds. Like, like... Like, who the fuck does that sound when you... I mean, I guess, you know, like, teach their own, but, like, it's so clearly... Like that's not what I get from it at all when I hear it.
1: Like I'm not like,
4: oh sexy. She's going
1: (laughs) you know. Yeah. No, there's
4: terrifying.
1: There's so much like mythology about like drugs in in music, you know. Mm -hmm. I feel like when I first got sober, there was like I think I saw some meme online that was like, you know, like it was like the small you know, the the brain size memes, you know, and it was like yeah. It was like, you know, I can't remember, but the gist was like the, the small brain was like smoking weed or something. And then like the, the gigantic galaxy brain at the end was like pressing your eyeballs to see colors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) And like, it's kind of, it, there, there's like this, this whole like mythology of drugs and music and, and whatever. And like, you have to be fucked up to, to make music, but this is like a very Simple way to like actually do that, and like you hear the person like practicing that thing of just like getting fucked up mm-hmm. on just like hyperventilating anyway
2: I always whenever I hear that part of the song, I imagine her like running away from God because she's talking about totally like God is like the the antagonist in that song, <laughs> like chasing her <laughs> through the forest, trying to <laughs> kill her. I also get strong uh lingua ignota vibes total
3: yeah
1: absolutely yeah i think that's part of why i i i love this record so much because i think i discovered it like when i was really deeply into the lingua ignota record
2: yeah and it's a great uh collaboration too because neurosis are just like the masters of like experimental metal mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i don't know just yeah, her that voice is so crazy scary that yeah, five, four, the drums that's, are great. It's
4: like the best five-four beat I've ever heard.
2: And then the the delay on the drums at the very end is very cool too. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love I that mean, part. You know, I like. I think neither artist. You know, it's a collaboration between like two pretty established artists, and I think um, Jarbo's catalog is is really cool and interesting, but like very different from this. You know, mm-hmm. and I think Neurosis does have moments where in their catalog that, that is like similar to moments on this record. But I think that like, it's, it's kind of a rare example, maybe, or maybe not of just a a collaboration that I think is like, like, uh, better than the, the sun or better than the, like each individual piece, um, behind it, you know? And so like, I don't know. I, like, I think we all learned a lot about collaboration, just like collaborating with each other. I don't think really any of us had done a ton of it. Um, and then on the last record, we just spent a lot of time like kind of learning how to collaborate. I had no experience with I mean, we all
4: it. we all do, just not like on like published records or anything, you know? Like we like we're the writing
2: there. the writing part. Like yeah. obviously being in a band you collaborate, but collaborating to like write songs is is really hard
4: yeah i guess maybe i'm the only one who does that then because i've been doing it pretty much since i quit drinking i was like oh i'm actually a musician i should like play with other people and and I, i guess yeah i've been putting out other records and stuff and it's insane like collaborating is hard because you have to give up what you think is good you know, it's not, it's like what we we're talking about, like, you know, throw a bunch of shit at the wall and the best thing sticks. Doesn't matter who wrote it. It's like mm-hmm. that, except, especially when I'm doing it one on one, like when I'm working with my friend Zach and Dead Tooth or um, Crawford with Space Guest or my friend Corey and Wives, it's always just one on one. And we're like, all right, so here's where it goes. Hmm, I think it should go here. No, I think it should go here. And it's like, where do you go from there? And it, right. it, <laughs> it's definitely like a, a maturity lesson to you know swallow your pride and, and when you go into making something that's a collaboration you know that you're not going to fully like the product but that's not the point the point is that you're collaborating to make something that other people will appreciate that you wouldn't have been able to make on your own totally y'all should do it why the fuck don't you guys do that I thought you did
1: <laughs> I mean I like I, I do I, what? I do <laughs> collaborate?
2: write music with other people
1: I do it. Yeah, that's what oh, I yeah. thought.
2: I mean, I do. It's just hard.
1: That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind of hard. I've been working with doing some collaborations with with Wander, with my friend John, oh, um, yeah. with storefront Church and and um and Lucas and you know. What, but that's what like, was you know, been? that's and, and Blimp. Yeah, and Blimp. But that's that's <laughs> not a collaboration yet. So far, it's just me. <laughs> Danny Danny hasn't joined her own band yet. <laughs> but um. You know that those are that's a different exercise for me because that's like I'm just like serving them. You know, it's like because mm. ultimately their name is on it. Yeah. That's so a good point. Yeah. I I just like give my idea and it's like do whatever the fuck you want with this. And I feel like if I'm collaborating with an artist who, like you know, it's their project. It's just kind of like, and kind of the same way that I collaborate with Dive. I feel like is just like. There's a bunch of shit. Yeah, like, totally. If you like it, then, take you know, let's do something with it. And if you don't, then, like, who gives a shit? And we'll just, like...
4: Yeah, it's different than, like, sitting down with nothing and just being like, all right, what are we going to do, you know? It, it, right. My introduction to that idea was when Moby collaborated with... Um, Gwen Stefani and MTV was there like filming it for some reason and I was just <laughs> like that must just be so hard to just sit down and be like alright, what kind of song are we going to make or whatever, you know yeah. and they ended up making that like here we are now going to the sun." and they just oh, like that song oh, yeah. Right. they just like banged it out on the spot Um, and I was like wow, to be a professional musician you can just do that and like neither of them would have written that song without the other
1: Yeah, I feel like in in our experience, collaborations, like, the conversations are much slower. Like, we probably did all the things that Moby and Gwen Stefani did on that day, but instead of just being like, what are we doing? Like, in in a five-minute conversation, we're just having that conversation over a long period of time and sending references and Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, what, what, like, we imagine when we think of our next record and have these kind of, like, big conversations and, like, sending stuff back and forth and then, like, take shots at it and you know send stuff back and f- that at least that's our collaboration process now
6: yeah mm-hmm. you know
1: tr- try trying stuff and like we have the benefit of not having MTV filming us and <laughs> having to do it in one day <laughs> but i'm sure it's a pretty similar process you yeah know? you're right
2: dive podcast um well y- y'alls is colin and bailey's picks are decidedly well i don't know the biggie song might be a collaboration between people i don't know who produced it or anything
4: no or uh, oh fuck i'm not gonna remember the goddamn guy's name dominique something it is he didn't produce a lot of stuff no it's not a collaboration okay.
3: There was a there was a, tra- a segue earlier about, because I feel like this is like a song about drugs in a much, much different way than any other music we've... That's true. And in a
4: similar way as Ben's song, it's sort of like not a protest song. It's just sort of like expressing how you feel about the shitty state of society and how it affects your behavior and like... Yeah, it's in the same vein as political protest hip hop um, in that it's not necessarily advocating drugs and violence, you know, and stuff like that. And it is sort of pointing the finger at the causes of it. So, yeah, I can see that.
1: And I would just take a shot and say, like, it, it kind of is a collaboration in a way where, like, the hook is made up from, like, a bunch of different samples yeah that's true you know including the the uh dr dre yeah. sample from Lil ghetto boy that's like a song that to me seems to have like a pretty similar narrative yeah yeah you know? totally so like that feels like a like a collaboration you know and there's there's a line from that song the the money on my mind line that like is like you know one of uh like snoop and tupac's most famous mm-hmm. lines yeah that's true Um, that came from that song so I feel like there is this like collaborative thing that's happening but in a different way
4: and because hip hop in itself is a very collaborative thing
1: you know Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah all right, y'all wanna listen to it? yeah Yeah, we already know what the song is but why not use it what the song Uh, is?
4: right yeah Um, we're gonna be listening to Biggie's um, Things Done Changed
5: Shades and corn braids, pitching pennies, honeys had the high top jellies, shootin' skelly, motherfuckers was all friendly, lounging at the barbecues, drinking brews with the neighborhood crews, hanging on the avenues, turn your pages to 1993 Niggas is getting smoked, G. Believe me, talk slick, you get your neck slick, quick slick. Cause real street niggas ain't having that shit. Totin' text for rep. Smoking blunts in the project hallways, shooting dice all day. Waiting for niggas to step up on some fighting shit. We get hyping shit and start fighting shit. So step away with your fist fight ways, motherfucker. This ain't back in the days. But you don't hear me though. Back in the day. <laughs> one two three one two three all it is to me is a mystery i hear your motherfuckers talk about it but i stay seeing bodies with the motherfucking talk around it and i'm down with the shit too for the stupid motherfuckers wanna try to use Kung Fu Instead of a MAC-10 he tried scrappin' uh, Slugs in his back and yeah, that's what the fuck happens, happens When you sleep uh, on the street Little motherfuckers with heat Wanna leave a nigga six feet deep And we come to the wake To make sure the crying and commotion ain't a motherfucking fake Back in the days our parents used to take care of us Look, look at, at them now, they ain't fucking scared of us Calling the city for help because they can't maintain Damn shit done change, uh, change.
1: The song is heavy oh yeah yeah yeah
4: <laughs> um all right so i looked it up while we we're listening um, because that beat is sick, and the producer deserves credit. Dominic Owens. Um, yeah, damn, that beat is sick. Yeah, the instrumental's crazy.
1: Yeah. Um, it reminds yeah, me of so that, cool. of the Neurosis song. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> the How? production with, like, like the, the super heavy drums and the, like, big, kind of, like, like all... Uh, um, like bass that just like fills your whole ears and Mm. then the kind of like synth lines and it like waves in your head. I don't know. It's
2: got the uh, uh, smells like like teen spirit fill at the beginning too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
4: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Huh. Um, All right. Yeah. So I, um, I've wanted to talk about this song for a long time, pretty much since I heard it. Um, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before that I sort of resisted listening to Biggie for a while because when I was a kid, it was like, oh, he's the best rapper. And he was like the popular rapper at the time. And I always sort of resist whoever's popular um, for no mm-hmm. good reason. And um, <laughs> and then so by the time I listened to Biggie, I was like 24, I think, or 25. Um, it was when I was a dog walker, like um, right before Dive started and my girlfriend at the time had given me an mp3 player and but it was like you know like the janky ones with no screen and like i don't even remember how it worked but you could load an album onto and just press play and listen to it like an ipod shuffle (laughs) the chewing gum
1: pack of chewing gum Uh, yeah
4: except it was bullet it was like you know like this red square like it was like a cube Mm -hmm. Um, anyways um And so I heard this song, and this is the first song on Biggie's first record. And Mm -hmm. it's such a powerful, just, like, fucking kick down the door and step into the room, like, what's up, y'all? I'm Biggie. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, yeah, I've been hooked on that record ever since. It's kind of the only Biggie record I listen to. Um, But anyways, the main reason I wanted to talk about it is because when I first listened to it, I was like, oh... This song is literally exactly this book that I read probably 10 years earlier um, called Fist, Stick, Knife, Gun um, by Jeffrey Canada. And so the the Biggie song is talking about things done changed and that uh, basically gun violence has increased drastically. And from Biggie's perspective, it's like, yeah, you know, like, Used to be, you would fight with your hands, you know, and like that's our parents' generation, but we're out here with guns. Um, you know, things done changed. <laughs> and um, whereas the book was written by somebody from his parents' generation. Jeffrey Canada grew up in the 60s, I think, in Harlem, and or in the Bronx, maybe. And um, it? And so he grew up in that culture of violence before the guns were prevalent. Um, where, you know, it's that like toxic masculinity that is uh, common in, in uh, poverty where it's just like nobody's looking out for you. You know, the government doesn't give a fuck about you, the police are the bad guy. You know, like nobody's on your side. You have to learn to stick up for yourself. And Jeffrey Canada tells the story of learning it when he was like four years old and somebody takes his jacket or something like that. And his mom makes him go back and fight the kids to get it back. Um, and he's saying that back then <clears throat> it was, you know, fists or sticks or like sometimes a knife. Like just you you were constantly in conflict due to your um, situation in poverty. And whatever is at your disposal, you're going to use. But it used to just be fighting. And that's what Biggie's talking about. Like um, back in the days, you get scrap, but now you lay on your back. Um, and Jeffrey Canada grew up and watched this happen. He saw the introduction of guns. Um, into the equation and so now instead of reaching with or just using their fists or reaching for a stick or a knife you got kids reaching for guns because they're just all over the place and um, gun violence goes through the roof and he's watching this happen and he wrote the book I think the year after the infamous 1994 crime bill and he's saying listen the problem is access to guns it's not all the other bullshit that you guys are saying. Like, um, it's not because of the crack epi- epidemic, you know, which would be like uh, demand economics, where because of the crack epidemic, you know, you got drug dealers all of a sudden need guns to protect themselves. That wasn't the case because people were already selling drugs, and after the decline of the gun violence in um, '93 was when it peaked the crack epidemic continued. Like, you know, it didn't mirror the gun violence at all. Um, <clears throat> anyways. And so I don't know. I always just thought that that was cool. Having this song that was on just like a very young street perspective of an epidemic and then juxtaposing with somebody from the previous generation who is uh, Jeffrey Kennedy became a youth activist and was just All these community groups in Harlem that focus mostly on getting guns off the streets, Um, not dealing with, you know, getting the drugs off. Just, hey, these kids need weapons to defend themselves. Let's just take the guns away and they'll stop shooting themselves. And that's essentially what happened. And so in researching for this, what do you guys think? Why was there an increase in gun violence?
2: Like when the 80s?
4: Yeah, we're talking about late 80s, early 90s, where, like, if the graphs are fucked up. It's like, you know, the murder rates are going steady, and then all of a sudden it jumps up in the late 80s, plateaus, and then comes back down in 93 and 94 into the rest of the decade. Mm. And I had always believed the narrative of, yeah, it was the crack I epidemic. Mean, you know, there's people selling crack. They needed guns, and that was that. <laughs> um, but... It's a little more complicated than that.
2: I mean, yeah, I could guess, but I really don't, I don't actually know. My guess would have to do with like manufacturing and like, yeah. you know, the fucking Iran Contras and shit like that. <laughs> like weird, yeah, you know, government putting guns on the street. Right. Fast and furious. Yeah.
4: And I'm going to try to steer away from anything too uh Conspiracy theoretical. But uh, what did actually happen was, you know, they had the gun bill in '68 that banned all types of guns, but it was specifically what are called Saturday night specials, uh, which are just like cheap, small guns that are really only good for killing somebody at close range. You know, you're not really doing much else with them. Um, And so it didn't ban those, but it banned the import of them. And so you had, you know, where they used to be coming from mostly Europe and shit like that, all of a sudden, you know, in the United States, there's still a demand for it. And as with most things in this country, they said, all right, let's see what the free market does. And it turned (laughs) into a nightmare um, where it just completely overcompensated and resulted in this huge supply shock in the gun market, um, specifically in these low-end auto-loader pistols. You know, you're like classic, you know, like what you picture if you see like a crime scene with a gun on the floor with the white circle around it, just like that little thing. Um, not like the thirty eight that like Joe Pesci has, but you know what I'm talking about. These are auto-loaders, so, you know, like throw the clip in, now revolvers. Anyways, turns out all these guns were coming from the same place. Uh, what's it called? The... Ring of Fire, which was an extended family. They're called the Jennings family. And they just had a multi-business empire based here in Los Angeles. Um that were just making way too many of these things. And uh just flooding the market with it. And it, you know, brought down the price like crazy and it just increased the inner city access to guns by an absurd amount. And um it kind of reminds me of like um the Sacklers. I was going to say,
1: it's a familiar tale.
4: Yeah, exactly, where it's just literally one fucking family just going out for a cash grab, um, playing by the rules, you know, they're playing the American game and just causing this massive nationwide epidemic and are not held accountable for it at all.
2: Um, Mm -hmm. So how did it, why did it go down in the 90s?
4: Because the, well, it started in the 80s and so... After in the late 60s, there was the ban on imports took about a decade for the market of U.S. manufacturers to like establish itself basically. And once it did and the ball got rolling, they did this weird thing where it was like they were just each company instead of one company selling variations on a model, they would start a new company, you know, like the guy's cousin would start a new company and then his niece would start another company with the variations um, so it's like different companies and people are like, Oh, I got to get this one. or like, I got to get that one. but it's all just variations on the same gun. They're just like reselling you the same shit and flooding the market like that. Um, and so by the time we get to the late eighties, that has snowballed and it's, you know, peaking in the early nineties. <laughs> and then we get the crime bill, which, you know, I said, I was going to stay away from conspiracy shit and I will, but it, the crime bill
1: wasn't you're talking about the 94 clinton biden crime bill biden yeah, being yeah. the head of the right, yeah. uh, senate judiciary committee yeah biden who brags about writing it much like he brags about
4: writing the patriot mm-hmm. act um, but he <clears throat> where was i um yes and so in in this crime bill it wasn't like all of a sudden Democrats were like, you know what, we're going to be really tough on crime and like boom, here's a crime bill and that was what solved the gun epidemic. It was or and and led to mass incarceration. What actually happened was like a nationwide movement that had been taking place over the course of years of sort of Republicans, Democrats trying to outdo each other to see who could be tougher on crime, like who could keep more people in prison for longer basically. Um, I mean the
1: Demo- yeah it was just democrats trying to trying to push themselves further and further right mm-hmm. for like political reasons like you know like Biden said you know back then like let's see fucking bush challenge me on crime cuz yeah. like they he just went in even harder like after the fucking Sorry to just cut nah, in go for but it. the fucking like the, the 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 bush senior 89 um national drug control strategy, which is all about like harsher punishments for drug dealers. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, giving like, uh, like over a billion dollars towards to the police, to police drug crime, more prisons, more po- prosecutors. Biden's response was, was they're not, that's not tough enough, you know? And the, I, I wrote a <laughs> quote from him cause it's fucking psychotic, mm-hmm. but he said, uh, this bill doesn't include enough police officers to cut, to catch the violent thugs, enough prosecutors to convict them, enough judges to sentence them, or enough prison cells to put them away for a long time. And that's fucking Republican yeah. policy.
4: Exactly. Yeah, to a T. It's literally just the Democrats being like, what is, are the Republicans winning votes with? Oh, this shit, because there's a gun violence epidemic. And, you know, crime had been steadily increasing ever since the mass exodus of working class jobs out of America in the 70s. and. You know, there's all these other exterior factors to why there is increased crime. And so it was a perfect opportunity for the Democrats to be like, hey, we can do that, too. Like, you guys got to admit crime is fucked up. And, like, you know, if you're in the late 80s and don't think that crime is out of control, then you weren't paying attention because it was wild. But rather than addressing the actual causes of it, they're just like, yeah, you know what? Fuck, yeah, the, Dem- or the Republicans are right. Like, we just need to throw people in jail for as long as possible. And, you know, you get, like, the truth and sentence laws where you have to serve a certain percentage of your sentence before you can get let out, you know, for good behavior or whatever, parole, and just like all and these the things.
1: fucking like insanely racist fucking one hundred to one sentencing disparity between crack and powder cocaine yeah, that yeah. that Biden fucking our our future president mm-hmm. worked on with the fucking segregationist Strom Thurmond <laughs> like tr- you know like he tr- he had been trying to ramp up incarceration for for decades even before the crime bill yeah you know and like bragged in the senate that 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 he was responsible for for the law uh, like you know if you have a a, a rock of cocaine like the min- man- mandatory minimum um, drug sentences and and then that led to like the this like insanely racist um sentencing disparity yeah
4: it's extremely dark, and
1: hey, he's our
2: president now, that's cool um so anyway, so but bro, it worked they they fixed all the problems that they created <laughs> by uh putting millions of people well in jail. yeah, and that's the thing like did they even fix,
1: and
4: you know, there was still i
1: don't know i don't
4: know, I'll get into that
1: well, part. it's just you know i mean i I think it's a really long conversation, but um, that we don't have to have, but like there are there are a lot of like interests and corporate like capital interests for having people be incarcerated. So it wasn't just like, you know, there's like a whole network and like a whole industrial complex of like the, the prison industry and, and like, you know, a million industries around that. So like,
4: yeah,
2: anyway, there's a, there's this documentary on Netflix called crack that I just watched that, uh, actually does a pretty good job of, explaining exactly all of that stuff, which is wild. that it's just like at the time was kind of conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. But now that it's like so far in the past, we can just be like, wow, wasn't that crazy? And it's like, God, that's dark that we can just,
4: it's been foiled. Yeah. Like now we know that the CIA literally was involved with smuggling crack into the United States to flood the inner city streets and funding their black ops with it. Like that's not a theory anymore.
1: Um, Wait, can you talk for just a second about what FOIA is? Because I feel like we've mentioned it a couple times on this. The Freedom of
4: Information Act. Yeah. You can request uh, any, you know, classified or, you know, anything that the government's got hidden. You can say, hey, Declassified. we're allowed to see that. Declassify that real quick.
1: Yeah, so you and, submit a, a FOIA request, Freedom of yeah. Information Act
4: request, <clears throat> and, and sometimes they will do it. Sometimes they won't, or they'll like redact a bunch of shit. But they have had to that black highlighter, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they've had to do a lot of stuff, <laughs> and you know, it's cool because a lot of conspiracy theories were proven true. You know, like all the MK Ultra stuff, and just like wild shit, like the their astral projection
2: projects oh yeah like i mean we we have to do an episode on conspiracy shit in general because there's it's just like i feel like each of us have this weird wealth of information about like specific (laughs) shit but i must say that's not the direction i thought that the uh conversation about that song was gonna go (laughs) 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 i mean because i was just curious you know I
4: had always had the connection between the two books and it wasn't until we were doing this podcast that I was like, well, what the fuck? Like, cause in, in Jeffrey Canada's book, he advocates for restricting access to guns and that is eventually what worked. And we know that because another thing that I forgot to mention was that that led to the increase in gun violence was that the ATF lost a lot of funding, um, mostly Reagan, but it actually even started with Carter, um, And so throughout the 80s, the ATF didn't have the funding to do the type of shit that would prevent illegal gun sales into the inner cities. Like it was specifically those types of programs that were defunded. And that's where I was going to avoid some conspiracy shit because why did they do that? I don't know. It could just be normal defunding programs, but usually ATF isn't the one that they pick. But as soon as the ATF was refunded, that's when gun violence ended. It just happened to coincide with the crime bill. Um, and,
1: and I think it, it hits at like a point that we've been like, kind of like, I feel like chomping at the bit to talk about since the beginning of the podcast, but like couldn't because of the election. But like, you know, we live in a two party system where both parties are like functionally the same. Right. Exactly. And this yeah, is just like just case in
4: ideology. point. It's, it's like, they're literally the same. Ah.
1: It's the same
2: and it's literally the same people as it's been for the past like fifty years, which Mm is infuriating, but whatever.
4: It's kind of creepy. Especially when you look behind the doors and like who's working at the CIA and in and out of the CIA and different companies and stuff. It's just like, ah, that's that's scary shit. But yeah, so that's that's basically my take on that song. And it's also just a really good hip hop song. So y'all should check it out.
1: There's a couple of lines in that song too that like the 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 line about the parents calling the city for help cause oh, they can't yeah. maintain, holy shit like sending their kids back into the system that right. like it's just really
2: really brutal. Just him saying like like and my mom's got cancer in her breast Why you think I'm stressed like that's mm-hmm. some yeah exactly. extremely and real that shit. kind
4: of a weird line for Biggie cuz a lot of you know, Biggie is playing a character. He was never, like, a hardened criminal. He, he probably was selling crack out on the street, and, like, maybe he shot somebody. I don't know. It, but he wasn't... If you listen to Biggie's stories, they're literally stories, it's extreme shit. Like, like you know, kidnapping and, like... To, Crimes that hopefully he did not actually commit. I mean, crimes Um, that have
1: to be like censored on the fucking versions of the record. (laughs) Yeah, on the the actual record. I don't give a fuck if you're pregnant. One line.
4: Or my favorite is when he says, um, uh, I keep a gun in my car or something. It's for the Jackers and the Crackers and the Blue Suits. And they censored out Blue Suits.
6: (laughs) And, And the only
4: way that you can tell is because they censored it with like a siren sound. And then the next line... Is I'll make you prove that it's bulletproof, and so it's just sort of like a guess that that's what he's saying because it rhymes.
1: (laughs) Anyways, um, I also just love the little details about like the the fashion details about like the shoes that people were wearing, and like there's so much detail, like the specific games that kids played, like the it's like like this whole fucking world.
4: Yeah, exactly. The first stanza is is just he paints a picture of basically like late seventies, early eighties. And and this is after the introduction of the album. I said it's the first song, but like, you know, there's like a skit at the beginning that mm-hmm. sort of tells the story of Biggie's life up until this point. And it starts with his him being born and in the background it's like some soul music or like James Brown or something. And then it goes through like EPMD or something, or like uh, Eric B. and Rakim. or you know, first it's like a hip, hop, a hip too. and in the background <laughs> is like shit that's happening to him, like his family splitting up and like all this stuff. And so And then the first song starts with the first stanza is just painting the picture of like what he was born into and then the beat stops and he says, All right, turn your pages to nineteen ninety-three. And then a beat comes back in and it's just then he paints the picture of the hellscape that he was living in. Um, Y'all ever seen
1: Casino? Yeah, I don't really remember it though. It it does such a good job of like using music to kinda because the movie's like it's basically just the same story... Shit. It's just basically the same story told from two perspectives. Like, Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro. They're telling the same story, but, like, it's it's basically just, like... A, there's, like, these little vignettes where it'll just be, like... All this shit happened, and then here's, like, a story of this one time this happened. It's just them, like, telling the, their kind of life story, you know? But the way mm-hmm. that they... Like, it's happening over over, like, you know, a long period of time. And the way the music changes from like the 70s or the sixties, seventies, eighties is just mm-hmm. so fucking cool. And that's just like, you know, the the same kind of like richness of detail um in terms of storytelling, I think is really cool. Who did that movie? It's uh fucking Scorsese.
4: Yeah, so I thought, did you see the video somebody made of um it was like Trumps watching the riot party and they're listening to some like crazy 80s, like something straight out of Vice City. Yeah. Or, um, or whatever. And somebody made a movie where he just took all the events of the day and set it to that type of music, like something out of the end of a Scorsese film. Oh my God. Um, I heard it described
3: brilliant. as very Scorsesean or whatever. That yeah. video clip of them watching the, yeah. Yeah. I didn't and it's see music of the guy.
4: music that's playing. And then somebody <laughs> just like was like, all right, I got this. And just like went all out.
3: It's really good. I got to check it out.
1: Dive podcast. Anyways, all
4: right. Colin, what do you got us listening to?
3: Uh, I've got this song by Chris Wiseman, who is like um, an extremely, um, not completely unknown, but um, kind of obscure musician from New Hampshire that Megan turned me on to. He's from Vermont, I think. Oh, is it? Oh, maybe he was born. At, where's Brattleboro? Is Brattleboro? Vermont? Brattleboro's in okay. Vermont. Yeah, I think I think he was he was born in New Hampshire, but he he lives in Brattleboro. Yeah, um, yeah, he has a cult, a bit of a cult following, but like just refuses to tour, and like because of that, I should say he. I I feel like he's best described as like a guitar teacher, because um, that's like mm. practically what he does. He like I'm sure he makes money from Bandcamp and everything, but. You know he doesn't tour, so effectively his like his primary like goal in life is to like study music and and teach music. Um, but yeah, he's just like I'm like shocked by how interesting and fun to listen to his music is. He's like jazz trained, um, like a theory like nut, and he didn't actually put out any music until he was 33. Um, wow. Yeah, and this label OSR Tapes put out a bunch of his records and then he also self-releases a bunch of stuff on Bandcamp and will like put out like four records in a year and then will disappear for two years. Um and I guess like there's there's some stuff I could say about the recording of the music. Um, I don't know if I should wait till after.
2: Yeah, let's just. Yeah, a, why don't we give it a listen? Wh- what's it? What's it called?
3: It's called Complex. Complex. It's from this album called Monet in the '90s. Yeah, so I I really wanted to talk about Chris Weisman because like he's been like definitely like the biggest like music obsession I've had in a long time, partially because like he's like one of Megan's favorite songwriters and we like you know we're like first hanging out and like falling in love together listening to this kind of music or whatever, mm-hmm. but that was like just the initial thing that like pushed me into listening to it and now it's like it's like unbelievably complicated. Music and he does like the most fascinating things with not just melody but specifically chords. Where like the song will have like a pentatonic melody running throughout, and he'll like make the chords go as far away as possible in the key without actually changing keys. And he does these, he has this like insane awareness about like classic chord changes. Where like a chord will come in and move and it sounds really strong and like baroque almost in this song in an out-of-place way. And then it'll switch to something that is like a totally different like feeling or like sensation for me. And all of his music is like that. It's like really like understated and rarely has any drums. But every song is just, or not every song, but a lot of the songs are like just these like mini suites of like music theory and melody and everything it's really tight yeah it's extremely musical it, it like
1: i the low that like low harmony that comes in is just yeah. so so beautiful and kind of like um it kind of reminds me of like of like our stevie moore just like somebody who's like like a like a sponge for like music theory and like classical um or like cl- you know uh
3: like classic the, pop songwriting.
1: Yeah, like classic pop songwriting, exactly. And like R Stevie Moore, I feel like grew up in it so heavily and it it's just like seeps out of the music and this just feels like yeah, like real real heady in a similar way.
3: Yeah, because he's like I he's like I'm pretty sure I read a couple of his interviews and I think he's a bit of an R Stevie Moore head. Um but he's like a big Beatles devotee. And then he's also like a huge like jazz devotee so like he has he has awareness of both like both elements of like western songbook and american songbook yeah Um, those chromatics were like i've never heard chromatics used like that before yeah dude it's you know and that's like this is kind of a unique song to listen to in his discography or whatever because it has the pitched up vocal which is like not a hallmark of his shit at all I do feel um, like
1: with the pitch with like like the kind of like genderless um like uh way that he approaches the song and like the pronouns in the song are uh or like he says something about like I'm a girl who's something or whatever. Yeah. Uh I can't remember the exact line, but like the, the kind of like pitch shifting vocal style I feel like is you know, like Alex G is kind of the poster child for it now and it's like pretty like normal thing to do, I think. Yeah, today? it's funny
3: listening to this now because this came out in 2008. Two, yeah. And it the, the pitched vocal does make this song in particular sound kind of contemporary. Right. Or it's like... Which is cool yeah. to, to learn it came out
1: like almost 15 years ago or whatever.
3: Yeah, it came out a long time ago. And he just like... Yeah, he's just outside of... I should say he like... Part of the thing that I learned today reading about him I think part of the reason that I love his music so much, and Cole, you mentioned this in text last night, where you're like, even songs where you like say out loud to yourself, like, I really don't like this. Like, you can't stop listening to it. Totally. Um, don't remind because, me. <laughs> because, because... Um, Wait, what does that mean? You don't. You, you guys like it, really? always play songs
4: that you don't like in the fucking tour van, so you can talk shit on them, and I just have to <laughs> oh, yeah, sit yeah. there listening to this awful music <laughs> on repeat.
3: <laughs> no, but this is different. Well, that's that's different though. That's us trying to like like stay up to up to date with like music that's coming out. But this is actually like he he's like Scott Walker style, where he never goes back because he doesn't play shows. He doesn't have a reason to like regurgitate the music so like everything that he does he writes and records like in one sitting so he just sits down and he like captures a moment or whatever and because of that like there's a bunch of songs um especially on certain records that i just don't like at all but then while you're listening you'll come across one that's just like this like visceral little moment that he captured it's like such a mood and it sounds so pure um and yeah, so it's 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 very addictive listening to his music because of that. Yeah, some
1: of it is just like uh, especially I mean, I, I think you've recommended a couple of records to me, but this one in particular, some of the music is just like psychotic. And yeah, crazy, um like crazy. but but yeah, like I couldn't, you know, no matter I'd be listening to the song and be like, "Okay, this is not for me." But like there's just it's it's like new or something.
3: It's just intriguing. Yeah. It's like addictive. Yeah, because he just, like, he's very committed to his, like, integrity as, like, like a home recording, like, artist of sorts. But he just has no, seemingly no interest in, like, the trappings of, like, success or anything. Like, as, like, legitimately evidenced by, like, him just, like, constantly putting out music and, like, very rarely ever playing shows. Just and despite the I fact just think that, it's like,
1: so sick that this, this record's not on Spotify.
3: Yeah. I mean the th- th- he only has 3 albums on Spotify and like those are definitely not the ones I go to. Like this is his like, you know, it's like I mean this is this album. I've listened to this album like 40 times in quarantine. It's supported by like 11 people on Bandcamp. Yeah. <laughs> and like I, but it's really I don't think it's like, you know, I've I've gotten into like friends bands or like bands from Minneapolis or something where I was like this is really good. But it's like good to me because I grew up there, or I'm friends with the people. But a lot of this mm-hmm. music is like legitimately like, like uh, really moving and like incredibly well written and uh, specific. And yeah, in, in that way, it really does remind me of R. Stevie Moore because um, you just like put on our Stevie Moore record and like you like enter into the room that he made it in. Yeah, or like, it's like an, this, mm-hmm. a time warp. <laughs> It's a time warp, yeah. And I guess this this music is partially, like, really intriguing to me because it's less time-stamped by, like, a decade mm-hmm. or a genre. And so it's, like, a little bit more mysterious to step into. I'm reading his interview right now on
4: Pose magazine where he yeah. says something like that where he's, like, People are always asking me if the songs are about Vermont and stuff like that, and being like, "If this music is really good, why didn't he move to Brooklyn? Why doesn't he tour?" <laughs> it's like I've broken the fundamental rules of a religion. Whoa, <laughs> wow! But then I also like this. This is like a cool portrait of him afterwards, where they're like, the interviewer is like, "Hey, do you know this band, The Lentils?" He's like, "Oh yeah, 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 I know those guys. Me and the one dude sing all interval tetrachord long tones every week."
3: <laughs>
8: yeah, Luke, who's actually <laughs> like, friends they, they, with.
3: Friends with megan
4: oh no shit yeah, what is an all interval tetrachord long
3: tone? I have no idea I think it's like <laughs> I th- you know I think that's probably some like some words. sort of <laughs> some sort of like expression for like harmonizing with someone right you yeah know?
4: i mean I, f- I figured as much that just gives me an idea of what type of dude he is
3: he's really it, like he his interviews are extremely interesting. He actually reads a lot like David Foster Wallace in the sense that he's like really dry and witty and, like, too smart for his own good. Mm. And, like, a frequently, like, an answer will go from being about, like, songwriting to zooming out to being about capitalism, but it's not, like, you know, it's not, like, uh, contrived in any way. He's just, like, you know, swimming in his own thoughts.
2: I just, I like the, I think it's, like, the last line of the song where he's, you know, there's that common phrase, especially these days you hear it a lot, like, the only way out is through. But he says the only way out is through your computer. <laughs>
3: it's really good. Yeah. I,
2: I'm <laughs> vibing with that line.
3: <laughs> yeah. The lyrics are very funny in his music because they're so like like scattered, I'm guessing just because he writes them like off the cuff. Um but every now and then there's there's a line that's like really, really uh like just it just touches touches something specific. Like there's a line that's like so many no's. I want to see where a yes goes. Just like so simple. Yeah. But it's like in this really like melancholy, um, like hopeful song. Sounds like a Joan of Arc line, Ben.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it does. There's also kind of on that same tip of being like deceivingly simple, but like, there's actually more to it. Like, cause I don't know shit about music theory and listening to that song is like, it just sounds like a kind of seamless, like good little pop song, but I can just tell there's more going on. Like, I don't know specifically what's happening, but I'm like, Oh, this is like some complicated shit that I don't understand. But it, but it's not like math rock or something where you're distracted by the fact that someone's like shredding in your face, you know?
3: (laughs) Yeah. He's like, he's, I said he's primarily uh, like a teacher and he does do these like really like infamous teaching sessions with people that like, some, like people have described as like shamanistic because he's like a real like visionary <laughs> for guitar and he's like kind of out there. Um, but he's also like a jazz, like improvising musician. That's like one of his like pursuits. And so like the music has like this like he's like a Beatles devotee and like loves songwriting, home recording, but then also loves this like really out there um, jazz composition and performance. And the music is like some sort of like exact middle ground where like the complexity of the harmony and the musical ideas is like snuck in and not compromised by it being like a pop song, you know, and vice versa, Mm -hmm. which like normally people, you know, Normally music like that is just annoying and certainly some of his music is extremely annoying, (laughs) but when it's nailed, it's like, you can't, yeah, it's like, it really, it invites a lot of uh, listens, a lot of repeated listens.
2: It's a fine line to walk.
3: Yeah, it is. It's a fine line. Uh, There's definitely like, yeah, there's a lot more we could talk about maybe uh, just in terms of like streaming services and like, the notion of staying off spotify mm-hmm. um I actually read that why well, yeah I don't know i I do have to go I have to go eat dinner right now, yeah, I want to eat dinner too, <laughs> yeah, but we should like another time another time we could uh we could explore this i uh, this idea of like um not touring. Uh, but still putting out music he also i i hope there's a way you can edit this in Bailey, but like he talks about there's this jazz musician Keith Jarrett, and he talks about this like this notion of like making music not to turn it into a product necessarily or not even to like finalize it in any way but like playing and letting music come out from you purely as just like an expression of your like existence and your like connection to everything around you. And like,
2: yeah. Cause he would always just improvise his shows. He would just sit down at a piano and play for an hour. And that was
3: the show. Oh really? Mm-hmm. And just like the, <laughs> yeah. Like him, him navigating, like valuing that like intrinsically in the way he makes music but then still releasing music and probably being tempted to play shows sometimes, but just being disillusioned. And then in that, in that Liz Pelly article, the quotes from Greg Sonyer mm-hmm. from Deerhoof, who like in my mm-hmm. mind, Deerhoof is like an incredibly like punk, like outsider band that like slipped through and makes this weird like art noise rock and whatever. But from his mouth, he's like, "There's mm-hmm. no, you know, we have to be on Spotify. It's death to do anything else." And just the yeah, finding different representations of like or different approaches people have in like operating as like songwriters and musicians right now. I feel like we could do do a whole episode on that.
1: Yeah i th- I think I think it would be really cool. You know, I think the we started the podcast talking about like why we're making the podcast at all, you know? And um, I think a big part of it is just like, has to do with like the industry and the wo- music world that we live in. Um, and I think there's a lot to talk about. And uh, the, the Liz Pelly article that, that Colin referenced that I'd love to talk about in a future article is called um, The Problem with Muzak that you can find on The Baffler. Um, but it's basically about Spotify's ambitions to turn all music into like emotional wallpaper and like push playlist content over, over artists themselves. And like, you know, like basically making it so that artists can't, can't make a living even, even if they're like selling out in traditional
2: um terms, even like bigger things than that, like deleting the con or not deleting, but well, I guess, yeah just getting rid of the concept of the album and the record label as concepts, you know, like Spotify just wants to subsume all that and turn everything into just a, a playlist curated by like Nike.
1: (laughs) Totally. Without the, without the consent of the artists, you know, and like the, the, the thing about, you know, I guess one last point that she makes in the article, which I think would be really cool to talk about. But like, you know, if you look at like the big streaming platforms, it's like, Apple and Amazon, you know, they they've created a music streaming pl- uh, service in order to sell more devices. You know, what mm-hmm. what, what does she yep. say about like the personal sur- in like personal surveillance devices or whatever? Oh yeah, a plastic and metal surveillance that we keep in our yeah. pocket or something like right. that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like they, you know, Apple and Amazon just want to sell the iPhones and the Alexas, so they have a streaming service to su- send to you know, stream music to make their product more valuable. But Spotify, what Spotify sells is Spotify itself, you know, it's algorithms, it's tech, you know, they're a tech Mm -hmm. company selling their tech on the, 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 the backs of labor of, you know, musicians, uh, you know, but like, that's, that's part of, that's part of the thing. But this article, I guess, is a, a lot about, a lot more about like what Ben said about like kind of what represents like the death of, um, the album as a format, or the death of record labels—the um, de- you know all the things that we, as music lovers, um, love to see—it's like they just want to turn it into to background, background branded background noise.
3: It's funny to read that. I mean, yeah, maybe we should just stop talking because I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just I, think a mental mental note for all of us to just uh, talk about. Um, just like updating that article for 2021 or whatever, because already mm-hmm. like reading through it, I was like, "Oh man, that's different now. That's different, like worse." Yeah, you know, yeah, it's from 2017, <laughs> I, was, I think. Yeah, 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 it's like mutating. Um, <laughs> but well, yeah, yeah we'll, I got.
2: We will revisit that for sure.
3: I gotta go eat some fucking hot, hot Thai food that that Megan made. All right, well, what's everybody yeah, having for dinner before we, before we go? Hot
2: freaks! <laughs> um,
4: I just fair. ate my dinner, uh, but it was corn, red kidney beans, black beans, and a lot of tomatoes, garbanzos, shit like that. Sick.
2: Beans, nice. very bean heavy.
4: Beans, oh, and like string beans. Oh, those are beans too. <laughs> uh, all type
1: of pieces. It's in the name, dude. Corn, corn's a corn's a grain, right? Whole grain? I can tell you.
2: Yeah, it must be. I think corn's a, whole a whole. government psyop. But <laughs> 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 <Jesus. laughs> Twist. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All
2: right. Well, uh, hopefully it won't be another month and a half before we do another podcast. And uh, yeah, no, yeah I don't uh, think
4: so. Thanks I for listening. I think we're
1: back on the on the weekly, week, weekly schedule.
4: Yeah, because what happened was we were also just like being stubborn about the sound quality of doing it over Zoom. But now that it's like our only option for the indefinite future, I think we should just swallow that and bang them out.
3: Yeah, and I do. Th- I think we should do an episode like this. Um, you know, every like eight or something like that, you know? Yeah, or where we more talk more like. about what we're listening to. Yeah, yeah, just like they could, we could call them mixed bag. Or we could even, we, like, you know, if one of us is like has a song that they're really obsessed with, we could just like add it as a little segment on another episode. Because I like I like listen I like the act of listening together and, and talking about it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. cool. Um, mm-hmm. alright Ben you want to close us out
2: um, I feel like I did <laughs> but I'll try again <laughs> Um, yeah so hopefully uh, it won't be another month and, and we'll be <laughs> oh
1: yeah you did say <laughs> we'll be back. Right, we'll be back next
2: week we'll be back next week and uh, we love you and don't die nice Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye. All right, everybody go eat.